Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. It's good to bring God's Word to you. While there is some gladness to be sharing this morning what the Lord's been teaching me uh, this week and these past few months as I've considered His Word in Psalm 46, uh, there's also a bit of anxiety. I'm appreciative uh, that Pastor Samuel and the deacons have asked me to share God's Word with you. I'm appreciative of Pastor Samuel's preaching ministry here at Park Hills. It's edified me greatly. And so I feel the weight of, of bringing you the Word of God this morning. And I'm absolutely confident that I will make lots of mistakes and misspeak and trip over my own words. So just expect that at the start. But regardless of how confident I am in my ability to misspeak, I'm more confident in the Lord's ability to speak through me in my weakness than any ability of mine to thwart what he has to say through his word. And that gives me peace. So um, it's entirely appropriate that it brings peace in two different ways. Last week, Pastor Samuel talked to us about peace, two different kinds of peace. The peace that the world can offer, often avoiding conflict or disengaging from a situation, and the peace that is enabled by God. And this peace can be somewhat elusive. I want to talk this morning about the peace that is enabled by God. And I want to do it by taking a look at Psalm 46. Psalm 46 is a psalm about peace. Peace in the middle of very difficult circumstances. But a peace that God gives to his people. If you have your Bible, would you please open it with me to Psalm 46? If you don't have your Bible, or if you don't have a Bible... There's a black Bible in front of you, and Psalm 46 is on page 471. Please join me there. As we read this psalm, consider, if you will, what the Lord has to say about the difficulties that his people face and the peace that he offers his people amid difficulties. Psalm 46 reads, to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam. Though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, 
and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Would you please pray with me? Our perfect Heavenly Father, you are our refuge and our strength. Thank you that we can always run to you. You are generous. And Lord, we need a word from you now. Please take pity on your people and help us to see your word and to see your promises for us in it. Help us to place our confidence in you. Lord, we know that your word never comes back to you void, but it accomplishes all of your holy purpose, and we cling to that promise now. Open your word to our minds and to our hearts. Send us your Holy Spirit to enable us to hear what you have to say and to apply it to our hearts and to live according to your word in a manner that is pleasing to you. For we ask it in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 46, like all psalms, is Hebrew poetry. These psalms were not just meant to be read, they were meant to be sung. We should consider that sometime. More specifically, the psalms were the songbook of ancient Israel. These psalms were sung by the people of Israel in corporate worship. They were for everyone, all of the people, and their purpose was worship. And so I want us to clarify at the beginning right now that as God's people, this psalm is for us, his people. And its purpose for us this morning is to draw us to worship him. As you read that psalm, you can hardly help but feel drawn to the Lord for his goodness. Because the Psalms are poetry, you, have may, no, you may have noticed uh, the unusual word, Selah. Right? It's a, a lot of debate about what it means, and I don't think it's helpful for this morning. But there is one thing to note about the word Selah. The psalmist, or the author of the psalm, we're not sure who he is, uses this word, word Selah to divide the psalm into three sections. He uses it three times. And it breaks the psalm into three different parts. The first part is verses 1 through 3. And in that section, the psalmist describes the world of nature. More specifically, he describes earthquakes. He describes the destruction of mountains and the churning of the sea. In the second section, verses 4 to 7, the psalmist describes the city of God, as well as the nations who would seek to attack that city. 
and in the final section, verses 8 through 11, we see violence more generally, now not just associated with the people of God and the city of God, now violence everywhere. And God's ultimate destruction of that violence. So this psalm is broken into three parts, and I think there are three things that can help us to notice about this psalm this morning. The first thing that this psalm wants us to notice is that God allows danger to threaten his people. God allows danger to threaten his people. Let's take a look at the tumultuous circumstances described in this first section, verses 1 through 3. What does Psalm 46 say about the circumstances that ancient Israel is in? We see in verses 2 through 3, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Wow. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Picture this with me. Is this not amazing? You're in ancient Israel, a land of hills near water, and you feel a rumble, and the earth gives way, whatever that means. We don't know. Maybe an earthquake, maybe a big fissure in the middle of the land, maybe a landslide. And the very mountains of this land are so affected that they are moved into the sea. As a result, the waters of the sea begin to make such a terrible noise that you could describe it as roaring. Seas don't usually roar. And the swelling of the waters in its roaring and foaming is so great that it causes what's left of the mountains to tremble. Wow. This is an enormous physical catastrophe. If you saw this, you might think the world was ending. But that's not the only thing that threatens God's people in this psalm. That's just the first section, verses 1 through 3. There's more to threaten God's people. Take a look at the second section of the psalm, verses 4 through 7. In the first few verses, we see a description that God's city is established and that God is with his people. Nevertheless, we see in verse 6 a description of the nations around that people. The nations are raging. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. That is a serious threat. You can take down a kingdom with your rage. That is a significant danger. And the nations around Israel absolutely had a history of raging, attacking, and oppressing God's people. Almost as soon as Israel entered the promised land with Joshua, the nations around Israel, Ammon, Moab, Edom, and especially the Philistines, constantly 
threatened Israel's security, at times even enslaving them. The picture this psalm paints is one of the dangers of the natural world and its ability to threaten God's people, as well as the nations around Israel and their ability to threaten God's people. But the focus of this psalm is not on danger. It seems significant. These dangers seem big. They are not the focus of this psalm. Don't understand me. They're big. But the focus of this psalm is that although God allows difficult circumstances and danger to threaten his people, God protects his people from all dangers. That's our second point. Although God allows danger to threaten his people, God protects his people from all dangers. And I mean all dangers. How do we know that this is the main point of the psalm? I think it is the main point of the psalm. How do we know? Because it's the first thought that the psalmist expresses, the first thing he mentions in verse 1, it's the last thought he mentions in verse 11, and he repeats it twice in the middle of the psalm, just in case you forgot in the span of four verses. The first emphasis is at the very beginning of the psalm. Even before we hear about any mountains crashing or seas roaring, the psalmist focuses on God's protection of his people. The psalm begins in verse 1 with confidence. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. What a wonderful comfort for God's people. Amen? Do you take comfort in this personally? Oh my goodness. This was an extremely comforting verse for me this week. I can't tell you. As I prepared this sermon, I was just so anxious, right? Bringing the word of God to God's people. That is a humbling task. And if God is a refuge and strength to his people, when the world collapses and when all of the people around you threaten to attack you, if God is a very present help even then, then he is also a refuge and strength for the anxieties and difficulties that we face daily. And we see this especially in the example, the life of Christ. Christ was constantly threatened by dangers of all sorts, physical, Human, supernatural. But he trusted because he knew that God was his refuge and strength and saved him not only from winds on seas, men who tried to attack him and Satan himself, but from death. 
So what are you anxious about? Or what were you anxious about this week? Are you anxious about a difficult relationship that you're having with a friend or with a family member? Do you worry about your job or financial situation? Perhaps you or someone you love has a significant health concern. These are real troubles that you may be facing. Maybe someone has hurt you. Maybe you're struggling to raise your kids well and you feel like you're failing. Or maybe you're struggling with depression. It could be anything. The psalmist wants you to hear this message. God is your refuge and strength, a very present help in your trouble. Therefore, do not fear. He is stronger than we can imagine. He is perfectly wise. He is able to help in any circumstance. And he is present for you. This morning, this week, in everything you face. Is it easy not to fear in difficult situations? No, (laughs) it isn't. In fact, I think it's safe to say that you will feel fear. I feel fear, anxiety. You may feel discouragement. That's not what this psalm is getting about. When it says you will not fear, and you start to fear, this is not an opportunity to worry that something has gone wrong. If you're anxious and difficult, in, uh, in difficult and dangerous circumstances, you are a normal person. The phrase, we will not fear, is not a statement of fact. We just don't deal with it. It's a resolution. In light of God's power to help, his ability to help, and his willingness to help, it's a reminder of where to place your trust. Whatever is facing us, we will not fear. In the second section of our psalm, verses 4 to 7, before the psalmist even hints at the idea of raging nations or kingdoms falling, he expresses his confidence in verses 4 to 5. Read with me. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. To the Israelites who sang this psalm to the Lord, the city of God mentioned could only be one city, Jerusalem, the capital of all of Israel. The place where the ark of God dwelt, where God met his people in the Holy of Holies. God had shown his favor to Jerusalem in so unique a way And he was definitively among them, there, in that place. And the psalmist could be confident, she shall not be moved. I want to stop for a moment about this promise. 
and talk about this confidence, it would be very easy to misunderstand this confidence as an unconditional promise. In fact, throughout its history, Israel has a record of misunderstanding God's presence as an unconditional promise. We even have an example of them taking, the Israelites, taking the Ark of the Covenant with them into battle so that when they were there, God would be there and therefore they could not lose. read the story in question, you know, it doesn't turn out well for the people of Israel. Nothing bad happens to the ark. God's fine because he's still with the ark. The people of Israel misunderstand the promise that God's presence is God's protection. The problem was that when Israel sinned against God, or Israel presumed on God's covenant faithfulness to them, while all the time neglecting their covenant faithfulness to him, they found themselves outside the fortress of his care. And so also we, you and me, who are the city of God, the people of God, can have absolute, complete, confidence in God's protection. We are his city, and he dwells among us. He dwells in us. By his Holy Spirit, he is present here now, and he lives in each one of his children. I want us to have absolute and complete confidence in that protection. But let's not make the mistake of being flippant about it, or presumptuous. There is a way to leave the fortress of his care by turning away from him as Israel did repeatedly. And they found out the hard way that they were no longer under his protection. Not because he had turned from them, but because they had turned from him. So also we who are the city of God must never presume on his goodness when we turn away. And if you are not a Christian, I want you to know we are so glad you joined us this morning. We're glad to be here with you. We care about you. And we hope that this morning's service draws you near to God. He wants to draw near to you. At the same time, I have to tell you, Honestly, just so you know, this promise is not for you. This promise of God's protection is not for those who are not his. God dwells in the midst of his people. The church of Christ around the world is the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of it, and she shall not be moved. Definitively. Even if the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, nothing will move God's church. There's nothing he will not protect his church from. And he welcomes you. If you're a Christian, he wants you 
to enter into the fortress of his care. He wants you to join him as his holy habitation. If you've never done that, strongly encourage you. Talk to me after the service. Talk to Pastor Samuel at the service. Whoever invited you, it is so crucial. This promise is for his children. In, the addition, in addition to the expressions of confidence in the protection of God over his people in verses 1 to 2, and then in 4 to 5 in the second section, we see the psalmist express this main idea again and again in verse 7, and then again word for word in verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I remember being in college and thinking to myself that I had no idea what the Lord of hosts, what that meant. It doesn't mean that you have people over for dinner or a party. That's not the kind of host we're talking about. The kind of hosts that the Lord is Lord of is an army. And the army that he has is called the heavenly host. It's angels. And there are lots of them. So another way to say this is that the Lord of all the angelic armies that exist in the universe is with us. He is both powerful and personal. The next half of the verse says the same thing in different words. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He calls himself the God of Jacob because he claimed for himself a people out of the house of Jacob, the people of Israel. When this psalm reads, the God of Jacob is our fortress, it's saying this personal God is for you and is strong enough to protect you. The word fortress, of course, makes me think one of, of one of my favorite hymns. The hymn we'll be singing Later in the service, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, written by the Protestant reformer, Martin Luther. It's no coincidence that it makes me think of this. Psalm 46 was Martin Luther's favorite psalm, and he loved the psalms. And he wrote A Mighty Fortress about Psalm 46, out of his love for this psalm. Luther took absolute, ultimate comfort and confidence in this truth that God is personal and he is powerful. I wonder, this morning, do we? Not up here, but here, right? Do we trust in the Lord more than any other fortress? Do you believe that an earthly army can keep you safe, protect you from the dangers that threaten our country? Can the police possibly be your primary or ultimate protection from harm? Can you trust in your own diligence to keep you okay? I want to ask you this morning, what do you consider your fortress. 
all of them are nothing. There's not one of them that isn't able to fail and fall and let you down. Not yourself, not anyone else, not the United States military, the police. They're wonderful. They'll let you down. They are not <coughs> the fortress that God is. Our only confidence is God. And this is hard. I don't want to pretend it's not hard. When you're enduring cancer treatments, your confidence must be God. That's hard. When your son or daughter has turned away from the Lord, your confidence must be God. That's hard. Outwardly, we may be perishing. In fact, we are perishing outwardly. But the Church of Christ knows that inwardly, in Christ, we are being renewed day by day. I don't know what you're going through, but God does intimately. And He is personal and powerful. And when we have that kind of confidence in the Lord, when, we, when the world sees us have a confidence that makes no sense to them, it's a remarkable thing, and it brings him remarkable glory. It should be a marvel to the world. And so if there's one thing that I think the Lord wants to say to us this morning through this psalm, it's regardless of what you're going through, Trust me. God allows danger to threaten his people. But God protects his people from all danger. The third thing I think this psalm is getting at is in this third section of the psalm. That God promises an end to all dangers. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He is a fearful God. But what desolations does it mention here? He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. The bow is desolate. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. We see God's dominion not only over nature, not only over the people around, the nations around his people, but over all war and violence that exists. If it's helpful to you, AR-15, on, flame, on fire, destroyed, never to touch anyone ever again. There will come a time when God will end not just violence against his people, but all violence. And this 
is a thing for which we should glorify him. Even now, amid the dangers that threaten us, he calls us to trust. I fear that the reason why Christians fear so much and non-Christians fear so little is the same. That they do not consider the greatness of God and his ability to do what he said. God will be exalted. He is exalted among his people. He will be exalted among the nations. And he will be exalted to the ends of the earth. His exaltation will be complete. And his goal is perfect peace. A restored order. The wholeness of all the broken things in creation. So Psalm 46 reminds us three things. That although God allows dangers to threaten his people, he promises to protect them now. And in the future, he promises that there will come a time when all of it will be brought to an end. One of the reasons I wanted to share this psalm this morning is that the youth and Katie and I have been memorizing Psalm 46 for a while. We're in the process of memorizing it. And I wanted to share what we've been considering. I want to emphasize the importance of memorizing Scripture. This is 11 verses of Scripture. Um, If it's not hidden in your heart when trouble comes, trouble will be very difficult. Luther, in his darkest times, is reported as often saying, in his worst troubles, saying to the people around him, come, let us sing the 46th Psalm and let them do their worst. I love that. Isn't that good? It's not terribly common to focus on the title of a psalm, but I want to do that for just a moment, really briefly. The title of our psalm is To the Choir Master of the Sons of Korah, According to Alamoth, a song. And there's one thing in particular I want to mention. The Sons of Korah. The Sons of Korah are a Levitical group. Korah was a Levite. You may remember Korah. He's somewhat famous in Scripture. He opposed Moses. And when he did, Moses told everyone to get away from his tent. Do you remember what happened to Korah? The earth gave way. The Korah was swallowed up. The sons of Korah now sing praise to God that even when the earth gives way, God is their refuge and strength. That is a right response to difficulty. Come, let us sing to the Lord and let them do their worst. That is a right response to difficulty. 
It's a response that glorifies the Lord. And it's my prayer that as we consider this psalm, even when we're facing unbelievable difficulty, difficulty that I do not know about or couldn't imagine, it's my prayer that we will be able, with Luther, to say, Come, let us sing to the Lord the 46th Psalm, and let them do their worst. Would you join me in praying, please? Our Heavenly Father, you are perfect in all your ways. And your protection is perfect. We go through difficulty, Lord, and sometimes we don't understand it. We don't understand your plan. But like the sons of Korah, like Luther, we want to affirm in the midst of difficulty your goodness your ability to protect from every danger that faces us, whether the world, whether it's men, whether it's supernatural, you are sufficient. Help us, Lord, to hold on to these promises, to hide them in our hearts, to call on them when we find ourselves in difficulty and danger. And help us. Not that we wouldn't feel fear. Help us to remember that we have a promise greater than any fear we face. A God who is powerful and wise and for us. I pray that you would plant this word in our hearts that you might use it in times of difficulty to bring comfort to us and glory to yourself. We don't ask this because we deserve it, but we ask it in the name of Christ who died trusting you and was raised to glory. Amen. 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 Thank you, Ryan. Praise the God for his uh, reminders of his great care for us. Let us stand and sing together.